0: Um, quick question for you. Yes. As far as I know, the first time I tried onigiri was in Japan two years ago. However, ever since I was very young, my mother has made, we called we just called them rice balls. She had this wooden mold that had triangular sh- shapes in it. It was like a press. And she would put rice in it and salt it and then press the rice through it. And you'd get these, you know, triangular rice balls. Would those actually have been onigiri? Yes. <laughs> well, then, I've been eating them all my life and I didn't even know it. Okay. Yes,
1: it <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Rachel, and this is the Miso Hungry Podcast. Itadakimasu!
0: Just Miso Hungry! Today we are talking about onigiri. And what is this? Well, onigiri is pretty much a ball of rice. Usually it has some sort of fillings in it. Sometimes it has other fun stuff mixed into the rice. And it's pretty much a really easy way to eat food. I love onigiri!
1: If you could name the comfort food of Japan, I think it might just be onigiri. As I was thinking about this episode, I was also thinking about something that Jetro is doing. Jetro is the Japan External Trade Organization. They've got this campaign going. They call it Cool Japan. And what they're doing is basically trying to get information out to, at least part of this campaign is directed at the U.S., trying to get information out to Americans about quote-unquote like the hidden gems of Japan, things that Americans don't know about Japanese culture, specifically about food and about like the gaming industry, so like art and anime and stuff. And as I was thinking about that in relation to Onigiri, I thought when I moved to Japan the first time, I had never seen an Onigiri I had one, that was the first thing I ate in Japan. We got off the plane, we took the train into the city, we met up with someone who walked us to our new apartment, handed us the keys, and of course we had no food in the house, you know, because we'd just gotten off the plane. And there was a convenience store around the, around the corner from our apartment. We went in, and of course my husband, who had lived in Japan a couple of times before, was familiar, and he said, okay, I'll grab some things. One of the things he grabbed was a couple of onigiri, and so my very first meal in Japan was onigiri, and I remember eating that that onigiri and thinking, this is going to rock. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since, it's been one of my favorite foods. It's total... I could even... For me, from the very start, it was comfort food. And so when I think of Jetro's Cool Japan campaign, I think that onigiri is kind of epitomizes that. We're going to talk about it, but it's got this amazing long history. And yet, so much of the world is unfamiliar with it, and it makes me sad. And so I'm excited about this episode because... I think we can share a bit of, of that, and it's just so good and such a cool thing,
0: and I'm excited. And I also think that another reason why this is a very cool Japan sort of thing is that you can find these everywhere. Like you go into any 7-Eleven, any grocery store, and there are onigiri. I mean, they're yeah. all over the place, and I actually think the one time I've been to Japan two years ago... It was one of the first things, one of the first Japanese things that I ate there. Yeah, and it's just
1: so good. And and the fun thing is that it's something that anyone can make. Anyone really can afford because even in Japan, they they usually run like if you get one at the convenience store, they usually are about one hundred and twenty yen. Which depending on the exchange rate, it's anywhere between a dollar and a dollar thirty or something in U.S. dollars. They're relatively inexpensive. But they're quite filling. Oh, yeah, because they have all that rice. Yeah, but yet everybody eats them. My last trip to Japan, I was at a thing with Elizabeth Ondo. She's this, like, one of the foremost experts in Japanese cuisine. And she was telling us that after the earthquake, that people in the shelters, like, after everything, they were putting together the shelters and trying to get people organized and settled, the thing that they were giving them to eat was onigiri. I just thought that was just kind of a wonderful thing. I mean, it's it's this total comfort food. So much the fact that after this horrible disaster, one of the best things you could do for someone was to hand them an onigiri.
0: I love onigiri. One big common misconception about onigiri is that it is a form of sushi. Oh. Um, <laughs> and this is actually, I will admit that I had this misconception for a while because it's I mean understandable. Well, yeah, because there is a form of sushi called nigiri, so o-nigiri sounds like it's related to that.
1: Well, and you can even call it nigiri because the o is like the honorific form. You can drop the o and call it a nigiri and you're still correct. So it's really confusing.
0: Right, right. So I kind of always assumed that it was a type of sushi. But the reason why it is not sushi is because the rice is not mixed with vinegar, which is what makes sushi sushi is that it always has that vinegared rice
1: right so the thing that makes onigiri different than sushi is that you've got rice without the seasoned vinegar mixture mixed into it and the only thing that's preserving that onigiri that ball of rice for the day or however long you keep it till you eat it is some sort of salt being incorporated, whether it be in the filling or what you put on your hands as you form the ball, which we'll talk about in a minute.
0: But other than that, other than, you know, the rice, there actually are a lot of similarities between onigiri and sushi. It always has rice. A lot of the time, uh, nori, the seaweed, is used in both. And onigiri also oftentimes has fish as a filling, although it doesn't always have fish. There are a lot of other different, random, awesome types of fillings that can be used as well. So And it's eaten with your hands. And yes. sushi,
1: well, I don't know if people in the US realize this so much, but it is completely, legitimately polite to eat sushi with your fingers. Or your chopsticks.
0: That is very true.
1: Except sushi, you're supposed to eat in one bite. Whereas onigiri, there's no way you could, nor any expectation of you doing so. <laughs>
0: it's too big. Although realistically... <laughs> I can never get sushi down in one bite, but that just yeah, might be me. It can be really hard really and embarrassing. It's not ever. I mean, I could stuff my mouth and not be able to chew. makes <laughs> me so hungry. So let's talk about the different types of fillings that you can have in onigiri. Let's do it. Well, the one that I had, the only one that I had in Japan, had a chicken filling. Like a chicken salad? Like a chopped chicken... With mayo? No, more like... I almost want to say it was like teriyaki. Mm. But we didn't get a picture, and it was two years ago, so I don't remember exactly. But it was really good. Sounds good. Yeah. What are other types of fillings that you can have in Onigiri? I can tell you the one that
1: Squirrel, for those of you listening, I have two little girls. I call them Squirrel and Bug on the internet. No, those are not their real names, okay? No <laughs> nasty emails because I do get them from people. They have real names, but I'm not telling you. Okay, so Squirrel, <laughs> the oldest, who was born in Japan, Onigiri is her favorite food. When we went out, we she always got a tuna one and it was basically just cooked tuna that had been mixed with a little bit of mayo maybe a little seasoning and that was in the middle that that's her favorite my favorite in japan was a mixture of a little bit of wasabi and some toro which is fatty tuna and it was really good
0: <laughs> that does sound really good
1: i also really like the kombu ones which is a vegetarian one and its kombu is like a thick kelp that sometimes uh, they make like into a relish and Mm. they'll make the relish and put that inside the onigiri and it's really good. Mm. But you can get everything from like other types of fish. They'll do a salmon one. My Mr. Fuji really likes salmon where it's basically salt grilled salmon. They then kind of flake and put it in a pan and fry it up a little bit so it dries out a little more and they'll just fill that. They'll put that into the middle of the onigiri. You can get fish eggs, several different varieties of fish eggs. I mean, there are tons and tons of different things.
0: And then, of course, there's the umeboshi, which is actually a type of pickled plum, and it's really, really salty. And sour. Yes. So that's one of those things that I kind of feel like you have to be expecting it when you bite into it. Otherwise, it's going to be like, ooh. And anyone who's Japanese, I'm
1: guessing, would not understand this. (laughs) But I think it's somewhat of an acquired taste because it's kind of shocking the first time you taste it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I didn't dislike it initially, but it took me some time to warm up to. And now I love it. But it's really strong.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I'm still working on acquiring that taste because I didn't grow up with it. But, I mean, Sun took to it right away. Yeah. He loves it.
1: He comes from a culture where strong flavors are the norm.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And for those listening, son is the name of my boyfriend, not a child of mine, (laughs) although he does sometimes act like a child. Which I totally (laughs)
1: thought. And I was so confused.
0: Yes. A lot of people are like, oh, you're a mom? No, I don't have children. (laughs) I just have a boyfriend whose name is Sun." Yes.
1: Okay, so one thing to note is that Onigiri are also called omusubi. Depending on where you are in Japan, you might have grown up calling it onigiri or omusubi, but those names are interchangeable. I spent my time in an area of Japan where it was always called onigiri, so to me it's onigiri, so today
0: it's onigiri. So that might also explain why in Hawaii you have musubi. Spam Musubi quite often Which is, I mean, essentially More or less the same thing, kind of It's spam on top of rice. The spam is very salty. There's quite often nori involved. And the spam can either be on top of the rice or sandwiched in between rice. So that kind of explains why you hear that in relation to Hawaiian food, which has a very high Japanese population.
1: Yeah, there are all sorts of more modern-day Hawaiian inventions that are takes on traditional Japanese foods. And Mm -hmm. that is one of them. Let's go
0: to Japan! For the store. Okay. And I think it's really cool that onigiri have been around for such a long time.
1: Yeah, because really when you think about it, not a lot of food items, at least in their current form, mm-hmm. have been around all that long. Like sushi is a relatively new form of cooking.
0: Right, And right. yet, I mean, everybody when you think of th- think Japan, yeah... yeah. That's like the
1: thing that people think of when they think of Japan and mm-hmm. Japanese food.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's just the last what hundred years that maki sushi have come into existence. I'm trying to remember yeah, my history, I actually don't know. But I can't remember the exact. <laughs> we'll have to. I have a book, a
1: fascinating book, which is gonna. It'll be a future episode. But um, just kind of the development of it because it, it started with basically they'd pack barrels with rice,
0: right, and right. fish, and that's been around for a while. But yeah, as but we it's know it slowly. Is-
1: developed yeah. into what it is today. So, I don't know, a couple hundred years. <laughs> Oniti, on the other hand, they there is this really famous writer who's actually a woman, which is kind of awesome. She wrote one of the most famous pieces of Japanese writing from her time called The Tale of Genji. But she lived in the eleventh century. Her name's they called her Lady Murasaki. She kept a diary during her days, she was think, married to someone important, I forget. So she kept a diary for the the couple of years that she spent in court. At one point in her diary she writes about people eating rice balls. And so that's the eleventh century, but it seems I don't know, it seems like there was um some some evidence in history even before that. So it's it's an ancient form of food.
0: <laughs> it's really darn old.
1: Way older than my my mac and cheese recipe, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's at least a thousand years. least a thousand years old yeah wow that's a long time
1: and it's still popular so that's saying something and there's a reason it's because it's so darn good
0: (laughs) really good from what you tell me because i've never actually made these which is very sad i know but apparently they're also really easy to make shamefully easy (laughs) which is probably part of why they're so popular is that really anybody could make them like you don't even really need anything special anybody across the u.s. could make them with just the ingredients that you can get at your local supermarket
1: yep because you don't even have to use the nori the seaweed In fact, the most ancient form of the onigiri didn't use seaweed because seaweed didn't become available until later, much, much later, when they developed farming methods of the nori. And they started being able to fashion it into sheets like they do now. Mm -hmm. So um, before it was just the rice and whatever they were able to mix in with it. You can even be like authentic. With and just what you can get at your grocery store,
0: right? And even just balls of rice flavored with salt are considered onigiri.
1: The funny thing is, if you had said to me ten years ago, "Hey, I'm going to make you a ball of rice with salt, and you're going to like it," I would have laughed. <laughs> but it's bizarre when it's done the right way, mm-hmm. you know, with the right the right kind of rice and stuff. And with this concept, just rice with salt can be so darn good. It's <laughs> ridiculous
0: yeah for me that's comfort food and it's so easy it's ridiculously easy total comfort food for my girls too and I I love that that's Um, fantastic
1: in fact this is totally random side note when we were moving back to the States I took squirrel in for her last checkup before you know we'd have to find her a new pediatrician in the States and Mm -hmm. her pediatrician in Japan was filling out paperwork that we could take transfer records and stuff and he was writing notes about her development and he he had a really funny sense of humor and he wrote her favorite food is onigiri don't worry about it (laughs) because he's like the doctor's gonna think that this is a bad thing because he won't know what onigiri is (laughs) Um, but kids actually uh, in Japan a lot of times moms include an onigiri in their lunch or that's what they get when they come home from school, as an after-school snack.
0: And that makes perfect sense. Because yeah, you can keep it out
1: of the fridge Yeah, it's all good day. for like six to eight hours mm-hmm. unrefrigerated. And once you refrigerate it, it basically ruins it. Because the rice... I don't know, if you've ever put rice in the refrigerator oh, and then yeah. tried to eat it, even once you
0: reheat it, it's never quite the same. Unless you're making fried rice. Then well, that's something then different. Then it has to be old. Right, right. <laughs> Yes. But aside from that, yes. No. Do not refrigerate rice, please. Yeah. It's not good. Actually, um that's how I learned to make onigiri
1: is uh when we first lived in Japan, my neighbor, would, we'd do these language exchanges mm-hmm. where I'd go over to her house and she'd practice her English and I'd practice my Japanese. Her daughter was in her first year of kindergarten. In Japan they have multiple they have 2 years of kindergarten if I'm remembering correctly.
0: i mm-hmm.
1: I'd go over a lot of times She must have had afternoon kindergarten because I'd go over in the morning like at 10 and she'd be making her daughter's lunch. That's where I got a lot of my exposure to Japanese cooking initially was with her in her house. And we'd sit there and talk and she'd end up like standing there and teaching me how to cook things. My first onigiri was made in her standing in her kitchen making her daughter's lunch.
0: (laughs) That's so cool.
1: So now my daughter gets onigiri every day in her bento in her (laughs) um, lunchbox for school, so...
0: Hmm. Okay, well, I I do want to talk about the onigiri that you find in convenience stores and how to open them. However, I also have all of these fillings sitting next to me, and I can smell them, so I want to learn how to make them. You want to teach me?
1: I want to teach you.
0: Okay, there
1: are several ways to do this. Mm -hmm. You can use a mold, like you were talking about how your mom made them growing up. You can make them with your bare hands, which is how I first learned to do it. Basically, you get your hands wet and then you sprinkle them with salt. Mm -hmm. The water prevents the rice from sticking to your hands. Otherwise, there's no way you're ever making that rice into a ball. Mm -hmm. And the salt seasons the rice as you form it. And then the third way is the way I usually do it. And I like to call this tired mama method because (laughs) I don't have to wash my hands afterwards. Well, you know, they're not covered in rice and salt. Mm -hmm. I can do it really quickly. Tired mama yeah, that's who I am. So, to do this, you need to get a large square of plastic wrap.
0: Okay, I've
1: got that. To make this easier, what you can do is get, like, a measuring cup or a little bowl and kind of lay the piece of plastic wrap, the middle of the plastic wrap, into that. I just do this all on the counter now, but that's because I'm kind of used to doing it. But having it in some sort of cup shape holder makes it easier.
0: Okay, I've got mine in a little bowl. Teeny tiny okay. little bowl.
1: So now... You should also have made your rice already. You can't use just regular long grain rice. You need Japanese rice.
0: Right, and we will include photos of what Japanese rice and what the packaging of common brands of Japanese rice look like so you know what you're looking for. Yeah,
1: because if you use long grain rice, you will sit there and be trying to mush those grains of rice together and the only way they'll stick is if you mush them into mash and that's nasty. So you need this shorter grain stickier rice. It's not sticky rice, but it's um, yeah, stickier. Okay, so now you'll want to scoop out some rice. For a larger onigiri, like the size, say, that you would buy in a convenience store, mm-hmm. they use about a cup of rice. Okay. But the great thing about onigiri is there's no correct measurement. You do not need to get out your measuring spoons or your measuring cups. So you just eyeball it. You know, a cup of rice is like A nice big handful. Now, for squirrel's lunch, what I do instead of putting salt on the outside is I sprinkle a bunch of furikake on top. And furikake is like a, a seasoning blend. The one I use is a mixture of sesame seeds. It's got a little bit of salt, little bits of nori and it can have other things in it. But I sprinkle that over the top, and then I use a fork to lightly incorporate it and mix it into the rice. Hmm. Okay, so if you're going to mix something into your rice, take the rice out of the, your pot or your rice cooker and put it in a little bowl. You know, you could mix toasted sesame seeds into it. You could mix whatever you want. Chili flakes, if you like it really spicy. Or furikake, the, the nori sesame seed type of seasoning mix. So I do that. I'll take a bowl, and I'll mix a tablespoon of that seasoning into my rice. Once your rice is ready, whether it's plain or has something mixed into it, then you transfer it into your plastic wrap. So if you've got your plastic wraps lining your bowl or whatever, you put that rice into the bowl. Mm -hmm. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right. So now what you're going to do, do you want to put a filling in yours? Sure. Okay. Kind of use your hands to kind of pat the rice down a little bit
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and Make a little well in the center. Okay. Okay. Now, whatever you want to put in the middle, you put in that little well. Alrighty. And now, once you put stuff in the middle, you can either kind of move rice back over to kind of cover it, or you can add a little more rice. Okay. So I'm curious, what did you put in the middle of yours?
0: Tuna mixed with a little bit of mayonnaise. Mm, classic. Mm-hmm. Squirrel
1: got a surprise today in hers. She loves any kind of olive and so mm-hmm. I stuck a black olive in the middle of her today. That was kind of awesome. Really untraditional, but she loved it. Okay, so now what you're gonna do is you're gonna gather up the edges of your saran wrap. Like okay. like you're gonna make a little bag or something. Alrighty. And try now to kind of form the edges up so that there aren't any wrinkles against the edges of the the rice. And what I do is I kind of start pulling that saran wrap a little bit tighter so it's it kind of helps you form the ball. It does the hard work for you. Mm-hmm. And when I get to a point where I feel like it's pretty firm against the rice, I kind of twist off the saran wrap. So okay, okay. Now what you're going to do is you're going to cup that rice in one of your hands, mm-hmm. and I kind of bend. I bend my right hand at like a thirty degree angle. Like I'm kind of cupping my hand, mm-hmm. and I use my right hand to start shaping the corners of the triangle as I'm using my other hand to kind of flatten the middle on either side. Hard to describe. You want to gently press the rice together but not smash it.
0: Right.
1: Kind of a delicate balance. This is the hardest part is making sure that you press it with enough pressure so that it sticks mm-hmm. but not so much pressure that you turn it into mush. Right. I saw a company website that makes onigiri here in the U.S. And, like, their motto was that onigiri should fall apart in your mouth, not in your hands. But it's true. Like, you don't want it to be a big, solid mass. You want it to be able to kind of fall apart, but in your mouth. You want to be able to get it to your mouth without that happening. Right. And really, if you're not getting the shape you want... It's no big deal, because onigiri can be any shape. You can find them in little cylinders, circles, triangles, you know, so if it's not the shape you were intending, no one ever has to know. (laughs) Initially, my triangles were horrendous. But we're gonna help you guys out, because we're gonna post a video of the triangle process, because it's really hard to describe, but once you see how it
0: works, it makes a whole heck of a lot more sense. (laughs) I'm gonna be looking forward to that. Well good, someone will, yay! Cause mine is vaguely triangular shaped, maybe. If I squint. I I think that's the hardest shape.
1: So once you have it formed, you can open it. Okay. And then I take a half sheet of nori and I fold it lengthwise down the center. and then kind of break it in half so that I have two long strips of nori and I wrap those around the rice ball. Rough side against the rice. Now, if I'm making one that needs to last a bit longer, what I'll do is I will get... I use a spray bottle and I spray the saran wrap lightly with water and then I sprinkle salt over it before I add the rice and then Mm. that gives you extra salt on the outside. It then has a longer shelf life, it's more stable. But since she usually just has like furikake and stuff mixed through it, I don't worry about it because it's only like that for a few hours before she eats it.
0: Okay, so how am I supposed to wrap this, uh, the nori, around it? There are lots of ways. You can do the minimalist way
1: and wrap it, uh, just have a little square like on one of the flat edges that kind of wraps around just a little bit. Or you can wrap it from one point straight down and up and around. Or you can kind of wrap two at an angle. So it's kind of whatever you want. I usually wrap two at an angle because it covers more of the rice and it helps seal in the moisture more.
0: Right.
1: So that it's still, it keeps it better. The other thing, some people, what they do, um, once they've made their onigiri, they will wrap it in plastic wrap, then wrap the nori in plastic wrap separately. Mm -hmm. And then um, when they eat it, that's when they wrap it.
0: Right, and that's so that the nori won't get soggy. Exactly. Because it tends to get soggy if it's against the wet rice for a long time, and some people don't or like even, that texture.
1: even just even a few minutes. Yeah. Right, right. And that's why they do this awesome thing with the onigiri that you buy at the convenience stores in Japan.
0: It is so cool. <laughs> I actually... Because the onigiri that I got in Japan was from a shop, it wasn't from a convenience store, it was you know, from a shop that actually makes them, I got mine fresh. So I didn't actually come into contact with this really cool packaging until we had it just a couple of weeks ago. No way, that, that was, was your the first time. <laughs> that was the first time I've ever seen that. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Well, oh, that
1: that's such a bummer because... In the States, when they sell them, they do this weird thing. They put sales stickers on them that mm. kind of messes up the method. Right. Okay, right. so what we're talking about, <laughs> they have these special wraps that they wrap up the onigiri with that makes it so there is a piece of plastic in between the rice and the nori. So that the nori is still crisp after you buy it at the convenience store. And then they have these little numbers on the tabs. There's a number one, and that you grab the number one. It's at the top corner, and you pull it down and around, and it's this little tab that then peels the plastic off, which kind of divides the plastic on the triangle in two, and then you pull on the plastic of number two, which is another one of the points of the triangle, and that removes half of the plastic on one side, and then you do number three, which is the other side, and that, if you do it right, it releases... The naughty, it's all kind of in place and you're able to wrap your onigiri and eat it and your naughty is still crisp and still wrapped around your triangle of rice and it's just an amazing thing. But in the US, they put these stickers on them and it makes it really hard to unwrap.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you have a video of this, right? I do and we'll include it in the show notes. Yeah, so you can actually see what she's talking about because it's kind of hard to imagine it if you haven't seen it before. So, But it's a
1: really good example of how ingenious the Japanese are when it comes to packaging. Oh, I mean, yeah. they tend to over-package, <laughs> but it's still kind of awesome. I mean, they're very innovative even in their packaging.
0: <laughs> yeah, they really are.
1: So they, they found a method so that you don't have to package your nori and your rice completely separate. Those Japanese, they're pretty darn smart. They're sneaky. <laughs> okay, so I want you to take a bite. Have you taken a bite? No, I me? haven't.
0: I've been listening to Woman. you. Okay, I, you I know I've been up. wanting Mommy. to. Cut it. <laughs> okay,
1: take a bite. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: This is happy food.
1: <laughs> Another key that. Or trick that we should mention is that when you're making your onigiri you don't want to let your rice cool down you want it to be not so hot that you're burning your hands because even with plastic wrap it's still going to hurt if the rice is too hot but still warm enough where if you sit there and hold it without doing anything it gets uncomfortable if you let it cool too much the outside of the rice will gelatinize basically too much and it won't have the sticking power that it has while it's still warm that's why If you've ever made sushi rice, you incorporate the seasoned vinegar while the rice is still hot because the surface of each grain of rice can still be manipulated and it will soak in that vinegar. You know, it's the same principle with, or a similar principle with onigiri. It's still, it still has some give. And so you're going to take advantage of that and make it get cozy with its friends.
0: (laughs) Warm and cozy. Yeah. Okay. So now you've made your first onigiri. I have. I'm so excited. And it's yummy. <laughs> it's so good. Isn't I think it this awesome? definitely will not be my last.
1: If it is, I'll kick you. I know. <laughs> I mean, I can make an onigiri in about a minute and 30 seconds now.
0: And this is the kind really of thing less
1: that if I tried, if I really <laughs> were. The clock, I, it would take me less but
0: and this is the kind of thing that son would love like I can yeah. send him to work with these and he would be a happy camper
1: well you know the funny thing is I think it was about a year ago one of my friends had a pool party and she told everybody to bring a snack you know like a picnic lunch or whatever so Cause we were going to be sitting out letting the kids swim for a while. And um, I decided to make some little mini onigiri. And I made them real simple. I think I just mixed some furikake in, and I didn't wrap them in nori or anything. They were just little seasoned balls of rice. Mm-hmm. And I made enough that anyone who wanted to could try them. And I was amazed at how quickly they disappeared. I mean, people, my friends, they I don't think anyone there had ever had one. And they loved them. And the kids loved them. In fact, one of the little boys... Came to my daughter's birthday party about a month ago. And when his mom told him he was coming, he was all excited asking if he was going to get to have rice balls. <laughs> so I, I just, I think it's one of those things that once you're introduced to it, people, most people really like it.
0: It's the kind of thing that has a very universal appeal. Like it's not scary at all. It's really easy. It's totally comforting.
1: And, and I, I know people who can't do the seaweed aspect because they feel like it's a bit fishy or something. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but but that's the great thing is you can make onigiri with whatever you like. Mm-hmm. So, make onigiri.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everybody, we want you to go make onigiri and then come back and tell us that you love it because we know you will.
1: father part in your mouth, not in your hand. So, another form of onigiri is in... A category of Japanese cooking called yakimono, which is grilled foods. So yaki onigiri, which is a grilled onigiri. This usually doesn't have the seaweed on it. And a lot of times it's even just plain ball of rice and they let it sit out briefly. So it, the surface of it dries out a bit. So it's easier to grill and they'll put it on a grill. And the traditional way is on over binchan, which is a special type of charcoal that burns a long time and at a lower heat, but you can make them in a pan on your stove, but you do it like on a medium or medium low heat and you just brown the rice, all sides of the rice. So it gets like this, like a toasted crust. And some people use a tare, like a seasoned sauce sauce. Like a glaze, I guess, and they brush that on as it's cooking. Mm-hmm. Or the way that I learned is that you get that really nice crust going, and then at the very end, you then brush just a little bit of soy sauce on, and sometimes mixed in with a little bit of dashi or the sea stock. Mm-hmm. You brush that on, and then you grill each side one more time.
0: That sounds so, it's so just, good. <laughs> oh, it is. Have you ever had one? No, I haven't. Okay, we, this we, needs to change. Uh,
1: yeah, because if you love onigiri, yaki onigiri is like the next level. It will blow your mind.
0: I mean, I can imagine. I've had grilled mochi, I've had grilled rice. So I can imagine it would be amazing. Yeah, so good. So, yes, this, this needs to happen. I need to try this. <laughs> Come on over. <laughs> I'm Allison Day. And I'm Rachel Hutchings. And you've been listening to the
1: Miso Hungry podcast. The podcast that falls apart in your mouth, not in your hands. Or wait, was that supposed to be the rice? Just me so hungry.
0: We need to figure out our clothing, <laughs> which is always the most difficult part. I know.
1: Well, we don't have any mountain mushroom cookie things, I you? know. That one was
0: awesome. Speaking of which, we are totally addicted. Thanks a lot. When I was buying the, um, the candy for the contest, we bought ourselves another package of them as well,
1: <laughs> and that's gone.
0: It's completely gone. Like, every morning, Sun will roll out of bed and... Can I have one of those mushroom sweet potato candies? My son, you just woke up. (laughs) Come on now.
1: (laughs) Please. The podcast where we're still talking about sweet potato mountain mushrooms. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) The podcast that gets you addicted to random things.
1: The podcast that is dangerous to your health because it causes severe
0: addiction problems. (laughs) Podcast that is going to make me fat.